Welcome back to another edition of the Peldy Box Podcast. Will Pesic, Leave Goddard are coming to you remotely over Zoom and all over the listening platforms, iTunes, Spotify, you name it. We're back and the World Juniors is officially over. Now we have about a week off before we get to our next NA, uh, next hockey function. That's the return of the NHL, which will be returning in just about one week's time from now. Lots of things to discuss, but Liam... We spoke about Spencer Knight in our first podcast when, when they started right after Christmas time, the day after Christmas, and how he struggled against Russia and how Yaroslav Askarov was really the mainstay for Russia and was the reason why they won that game. But on the, the tale of the two goalies, Askarov had a struggle after Team USA and Spencer Knight was a brick wall after that Russia game. Yeah, Spencer Knight was absolutely brilliant last night. And, you know, it, at that first game against Russia, in my opinion, was no indication on what type of goaltender Spencer Knight is and is going to become uh, once he, you know, gets into the Florida Panthers and starts to begin his career. He shut down Canada straight out last night. I mean, Team USA just had a great game plan. They just did not allow Canada to get many good looks. But once, you know, Spencer Knight was tested, he was he was up to the task. So impressive last night from Spencer Knight. Did you notice that the goal scoring of Team USA for two years in a row have come from Trevor Zegras and how good of a player he has been for USA uh, in the past two world juniors. And you look at the two California teams, both the Anaheim Ducks and the Los Angeles Kings, they had a plethora of prospects in this world junior tournament. And the future is bright for both of those franchises. And you look at uh, on the Canada side with Jamie Drysdale, I believe he's an Anaheim Ducks draft pick. And you look at over on the Team USA side with, with Trevor Zegras and you have Turcotte and you have Arthur Kaliev. It's it's and, the, uh, and those were the Los Angeles Kings. So they have a lot of good prospects and the two California rivals are going to be really good for a very long time. Absolutely. They totally are going to be very good for a very long time. And Trevor Zegras, I mean, yes, Turcotte and Kaliev were fantastic in that tournament, but Zegras ran away with the thing. I mean, I believe he won the tournament MVP yeah. uh, after Team USA took it And if home. USA won the gold last year, he probably would have won it last year as well. Yeah, he's just that much of a dominant force on the ice. He reminds me a little bit of Jack Eichel when he's out there. You know, I know that's a huge comparison, but he just seems to control the play uh, so well and just has great hockey sense and hockey IQ. It was really fun to watch. And for the Kings, you have Kaliev and Turcotte, who were two of the best players, you know, on Team USA. I believe Turcotte is a Kings draft pick. Is that correct? He drafted number five overall in 2019. That's right. And Kaliev, interestingly enough, fell to the second round in that same draft, and the Kings were able to pick him up as well, and he's just been lighting it up. Staten Island kid, so a bit of a local kid. Yeah, absolutely. For the Anaheim Ducks side, Jamie Drysdale from Canada is what they hope to be a mainstay for their defense core. And you have, of course, Trevor Zegers, who ran away with the whole tournament last night. And I, I, I would say out of all the players in that tournament, for, for every team, he was the best player in that tournament, and he played for Team USA, and he's the reason why that they won that game last night. I would agree 100%. You know, you need that top line uh, forward if, you know, if you want to succeed, especially in the World Junior Hockey Championships, and Team USA had that, and Trevor Zegers, and now the Anaheim Ducks have one hell of a prospect. Did you happen to see what Team USA did when they won last night? I did. It, it wasn't a garbage can, Trevor Zegers said. He said it was a barrel. Yeah. It was a barrel. And... Is that bulletin board material for but what potentially could be his future Canadian teammates, whether they play for the Ducks or or when he goes back to college? I don't know, but he, he made it very clear that that was not a garbage can. That was a barrel. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think that that was a team wide decision. I mean, I don't know the specifics behind the barrel or the story behind it. Uh, might I add, I think it's just, you know, they're barreling through their foreign, you know, opponents. And I think if they would have beaten Russia or they would have beaten Czech Republic, the same thing. The yeah. metal game would have been the same thing. And I just think it didn't look good, you know, with a you know piece of paper with Team Canada's <laughs> logo taped right on the barrel. But, uh, you know, I don't think there was any malicious intent behind that. But if you ask a Canadian, they will uh, they will beg to differ. And Zegras said, too, that before the game, that Canada really never had a big opponent, you know, that they faced. And I would kind of have to agree with him. Um, if you look at all the teams in that tournament, the two best teams made it to the gold medal game. I mean, that's you, you normally don't see that in sports. Usually it takes, like, an upset to happen. And, you know, nobody thought the Rays were going to go to the World Series. Nobody thought the Heat were going to go to the NBA Finals, right? Nobody thought the, the, the Stars would go to the Stanley Cup Final. So there's a lot of upsets that happen. So the two best teams in, in, in this scenario made it to the gold medal game. And the best team won. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the entire tournament long, you know, any analyst that you would talk to would say that Team Canada is so stacked and that they have guys playing on their fourth line that could be playing on the first line for Team USA, Team Russia, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. But, uh, you know, Team USA just came out with a game plan last night. They had the odds stacked against them, but boy, did they come to play from Spencer Knight to Trevor Zegras to the decor. Jake Sanderson, I thought was fantastic. Uh, he was drafted number five overall by Ottawa. So it was just a complete game uh, by by the United States and they won the gold medal because of it. Speaking of the two pros, uh, two teams in California with the prospects that leads us into our next discussion. And that of course is going to be the West division. But b- b- before we get to that, I think we should touch on the breaking news and that's Pierre Luc Dubois reportedly wants out of Columbus. Um, is this another John Tortorella situation where he does not get along with the head coach? Because if that is, they certainly are not going to fire Tortorella, but are you going to get rid of what is considered a franchise talent in Pierre-Luc Dubois? I think it could be. I mean, personally, I don't think it's entirely on Tortorella. I think it just happens to be the marketplace uh, that he's playing in right now. Obviously, Columbus, one of the smallest market teams uh, in the entire National Hockey League. And, you know, you look at our Temi Panarin, who just a couple of years ago wanted to Bobrovsky. go to that bigger market. Sergei Bobrovsky as well, who ended up going to Florida. I think Dubois just wants to raise his stock where he will have more eyes on him. And he doesn't have a ton of eyes on him in Columbus. He signed that two-year bridge deal for $5 million, which is per season. Uh, which is, you know, well below, I think, what he would expect it. And I wouldn't be surprised if in the middle of the season here, Dubois is on a different team. You know, that deal is a pretty team-friendly contract, granted that it's only that bridge deal at two seasons. But what team do you think fits the build for a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois? And I'm going to be straight up to say it. I think it might be the Montreal Canadiens. And I think the Montreal Canadiens, after departing with Max Domi, going to to Columbus are really looking for that go-to talent. And we all spoke about them when, when we covered the North division on, on how we think Montreal is going to fare up. They got the prospects to give Columbus. They have a lot of nice defensive prospects there, whether that's Noah Juleson on the back end, they have a, you know, lots of draft picks and they have some forward depth as well that they could send back to Columbus. I think Montreal is a good fit for Dubois. He, he gets the bigger, the bigger media industry, obviously, with Montreal being at the forefront of the hockey world up in Canada, and I think it'll be good for him. I think Montreal is a nice fit for Pierre Luc Dubois, and he goes with his former teammate Josh Anderson, so it is a familiar face. 
Yeah, I think Montreal could be a great fit. I mean, they do have a little bit uh, excess of center depth, but that could be dwindled down uh, once Philip Deneau reaches, you know, unrestricted free agency uh, at the end of this season. But two teams really come to mind for me. And one of them is at the Edmonton Oilers. And I think that the Oilers need some center depth. I know they have Dreisaitl, they have McDavid, and they have Nugent Hopkins. But right now they're putting Nugent Hopkins on the wing. And I think having a second line center in Pierre-Luc Dubois that can go uh, to the Edmonton Oilers will really solidify that offensive punch. So I think they're an option. And I also think the New York Rangers are an option. And obviously, you know, Columbus would be weary to trade within their own division, even though they're not in the same division this year, but they will be next year. But the Rangers and Columbus, they have a history of making blockbuster trades. Yeah. You look four or five years ago where Rick Nash was more than that was traded, you know, from the Columbus Blue Jackets to the New York Rangers. I wouldn't keep that, you know, out of the question. I think Pierre-Luc Dubois is exactly what the Rangers need uh, in a second line center. And we have a star defenseman in Tony D'Angelo that we would, uh, be happy to offer up if uh, Columbus came calling. He's an RFA that was just recently signed to a contract and he is quarantining in Columbus, but an, an RFA that has not been signed yet. And the biggest one on the market right now is Matt Barzell of the New York Islanders. How does this go, Liam? Because right now he's unsigned with a week to go before game day. Does he sign that deal before they they, they take the eyes and ask to a garden next Tuesday night? Well, you know, from what I've learned this offseason, and that's when the pressure is on the general managers and the player to get a deal done, they do. And I think the biggest indication of that is Pierre-Luc Dubois, who, you know, last week it came out that they're not even close to signing a contract. Dubois doesn't even want to stay in Columbus. And then, boom, 45 minutes later, Dubois signed to a two-year $10 million contract. It's funny that you say so, that because when I told you that and that happened, I'm like, holy crap. This kid may think I was lying about that report about Dubois not wanting to sign it. I saw it too. I saw it too. Because 45 minutes later, he signed. And I'm like, how's that even possible? Barzell and the Islanders have not been close for the past week. And this guy signs 45 minutes after that report comes out. And that's exactly why I wouldn't be concerned uh, about Matt Barzell. I think that a deal can literally happen at any second. And furthermore, I think that seeing Matt Barzell on the training camp roster, he's not skating, he's not with the team, but he's on the roster, uh, indicates that things are not too far apart. No, and he at first wanted a a long-term deal, which goes to show you how much he he likes the organization because if you don't like the organization, you want to be in a – a UFA as quick as you possibly can, right? We all know Tavares, when he was at RFA, he signed a six-year extension with the Islanders, which made him available in 2018, 2018 offseason to become a UFA. But you look at now with the salary cap as low as it is, our RFAs are signing these bridge deal contracts, not William Nylander, by the way, which, by the way, I believe Lou Lavarillo negotiated, right? Or was that Kyle Dubas at that time? Uh, I believe that was Kyle, Kyle Dubas. Kyle yeah. Dubas, sorry. So Kyle Dubas negotiated that contract, but still, it's 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 worrisome as the days go on and he's not skating, he's not you know doing the scrimmages and all that. But the players, when 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 the media asked the players if they are concerned about Barzell not signing, Anders Lee said he's he, he Matt is one of the boys. He likes being a part of this team. I have no doubt he'll he'll get this signed soon. Same with his best friend, Anthony Mauvillier. And he's here. If if he did not want to be on Long Island playing for the Islanders, Pierre-Luc Dubois was not even in Columbus. Matt Barzell is here in, in New York doing the physicals, doing the COVID test, just not skating and practicing with the team. You know, I truly believe that Matt Barzell 
likes being an Islander and wants to be an Islander for the foreseeable future in his career. And I think because of what he saw happen with the Islanders fan base and John Tavares yep. and that Tavares wasn't fully committed to the team. I don't think that he would go and do the same thing. I just don't envision it. I think that if it comes down to taking a $1 million or a $2 million pay cut in order to get under the cap, I think he'll do that for the Islanders, but it's all about finding the right deal, but don't color me surprised if in the next week, uh, Matt Barzell is signed to a contract. I think when the Rangers and Islanders are playing uh, on opening night, Matt Barzell will be the number one center. Dave Pagoda of the fourth period, who is very reliable, does not have a blue check mark yet on, on, on he Twitter, right, yep. but he is very good. And he wrote in an article that Matt Barzell and the Islanders are now looking at what could potentially be a three to four year deal worth a, worth between six to nine million AAV. Now you said it over text, even if they backload the contract, that still gets put under the salary cap, correct? So let's say he signs, let's say he signs a $30 million and the majority of that 30 million gets backloaded to the end of that contract. Mm-hmm. Whatever that AAV is considered, that has to count towards the cap, correct? Right, exactly. It, it doesn't depend on when the money is being paid, but if it's, let's just say $7 million, you know, it will be $7 million against yep. the cap per season. So the Islanders can't really work themselves out of that. I mean, but I did mention to you via text was that performance bonuses uh, is something that they could try to do. You know, they can try to pay him, you know, $2 million, you know, at the start to try to alleviate uh, that crunch. You know, maybe he gets a signing bonus. Maybe they say, listen, if it, you have to take a cap hit, but, but we'll give you a signing bonus where when you sign the contract, you'll get this much money. And, you know, the one thing that reminds me of is that last offseason or two offseasons ago, I think it was last offseason, the Montreal Canadiens put in an offer sheet for the Carolina Hurricanes, Sebastian Ajo, and they tried to get the Hurricanes, you know, to, you know, kind of quiver at the deal a little bit uh, by front loading that contract and putting so much performance bonuses that maybe Don Waddell of the Carolina Hurricanes at the time would have said, whoa, you know, we can't pay this. And he ended up matching the offer. But there are ways that general managers can work around that cap. And I think a Lamorello knows uh, every in and out of that. So I wouldn't be too worried, Will. I think, like I said, I think Matt Barzell will sign. I think his heart. Uh, is and he doesn't him. need, he doesn't need the training camp either. I mean, they could just throw him in right away. And, right. That's, you know, even yeah. if he doesn't have training camp, he's still a threat to teams, right? So if he's playing against the Rangers, you know, the Rangers defenders are going to be on Barzell, which even if he's not, fully accustomed to game yet he's used as a decoy for guys like a nelson or a mobilier or a or a bailey so it is a port that he does play and keep in mind they will be having a full season of jg pajot who was huge for them in the postseason and he's going to have a much bigger role this season yeah absolutely i agree with you and you know the one thing on matt barzell's front about him not getting any training camp time you know per se uh, is that they, we, we got to remember that the Islanders went deep into the playoffs and, you know, it wasn't too far removed, uh, you know, that they played meaningful hockey. And, you know, you can't say the same for the seven other teams who didn't even make the play and they haven't played since March. So, you know, Barzell doesn't need that training camp time as much as those other teams players do. Let's get right into the West division. And this division is very interesting because now that there's no Canadian teams in either division, the West division, in my opinion, is anyone's division to win. Let me rattle off the names of the teams in the West division. The Anaheim Ducks, the Arizona Coyotes, the Colorado Avalanche, the LA Kings, the Wild, the San Jose Sharks, the St. Louis Blues, and the Vegas Golden Knights. Obviously, 
the two teams at the top of that division, you would have to say, would be Vegas and St. Louis, right? Regardless of, of where you put them, those are the best two teams in the division. But aside from Vegas and St. Louis and, and Colorado, it's anyone's division to, you know, to go for this point. And we know this with the other divisions and with, with the NHL standards, the top four in every division make that. And I think it's very clear to have Colorado, St. Louis, and Vegas at the top three. But the top four, Liam, it could be anybody's in this division. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think, yeah, for the top three, I think it's pretty much set in stone. For me personally, and I'll just start off on who I have number one. Uh, I have the Colorado Avalanche. I think it's their time. I think that they do not have a hole on their roster. I think that Philip Grubauer and Pavel Francois, I think that they're going to be a capable, uh, you know, starting netminders, 1A, 1B type thing. Uh, you know, Nathan McKinnon's arguably the best player in the world. You know, no offense to Connor McDavid, but he's starting to turn into that player. Uh, and the pieces around him are just absolutely fantastic. You know, you have Miko Rantanen, uh, you know, you have Brandon Saad, who was just acquired from the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, and that's not even talking about the decor, which continues uh, to get even more fluent. You have Taves. Who, yep, who just added there, Bowen Byram, who was fantastic in the World Junior Hockey Championship tournament. So the future is up for Colorado. They have the young players coming in. They have the veterans with playoff experiences. If their goaltending and their roster can stay as healthy as they didn't, as they weren't, you know, in the postseason last year, I think the Colorado Avalanche not only win this division, not only represents, you know, the entire conference, I think they win the Stanley Cup. I'm going to put, uh, here's my top three. In the order, I obviously have Colorado number one. That's an obvious, they're the best team in the West division for this season. And number two, I have Vegas. And number three, I have St. Louis. And at number four, to make the playoffs, I'm going to throw a curveball and take the Anaheim Ducks. Um, I like Anaheim's team. Uh, John Gibson is arguably one of the best goaltenders in the league. Maybe if not the best, if you want to, put him in that conversation. But I think the offense now with Jacob Silverberg and you look at, you know, Troy Terry's going to be playing a full season. The prospects that they have, Sam Steele's going to be playing, Maxime Comtois. You know, they are a very good team. And the defense is a good one as well. Hampus Lindholm, Cam Fowler, they are a very good underrated type of team. And I think the pressure's off of them in the situation. I think all eyes are going to be on Arizona, uh, excuse me, Colorado, St. Louis, and Vegas. But I mean, can you buy LA? Can you buy Arizona, Minnesota, San Jose? I don't think so. I and, think it, you know, I, yeah. I, I think it's Anaheim's here. And, and, and you know, forward. one additional thing with Anaheim, they're not my fourth team, but I will say Trevor Zegras could make an impact this season. You think uh, he plays you know, for them this season? I think he gets a shot. I think he gets a shot. I mean, you know, maybe not those top line minutes, but he could get some get some time, get some experience at the National Hockey the League. The only thing I, I don't know is if he's going back to college. That's the only yeah. thing I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I've heard from analysts that says, you know, that he might want to make an impact in the NHL this year. And certainly the Ducks want to have him. I mean, they yeah. want to, you know, get him into the NHL lineup, get him, uh, you know, accumulated. To and now is the perfect time to do it. It's, it. it's an abbreviated season. Yeah, so exactly. He, even if it fails, you have the option next year too, which I think next year he's a, he's a given, you know, to at least go to camp next year and everyone's shot to make the team. And quite uh, frankly, I don't think it's going to fail. I mean, the way Zegers played in the world juniors was just, you know, he was dominant. And for an Anaheim Ducks team that doesn't have much offense up front, wow, to learn from a guy like Ryan Getzlav uh, in the middle and, you know, be able to work with him would just be work big ends for Trevor Zegers and the Ducks. So who do you have at number four? 
So at number four, I think it's really a toss-up. I have the Los Angeles Kings. Okay. That's- uh, and I think that the the Kings are just very – just well put together. I like Cal Peterson in that. I think he's going to be the number one over Jonathan Quick. But, again, 56-game season, you need both goaltenders. Cal Peterson and Jonathan Quick, if they're both playing on the top of their game, that's a pretty good, you know, goaltending tandem right there. The decor, they got Olimata from the Chicago Blackhawks in the trade earlier this offseason. I like his veteran presence. Uh, and Drew Doughty, uh, who I think is very underrated. Uh, I, the, the report came out that he wasn't even slated to make the Olympic roster when that comes out, you know, in, in a little while here. So that was certainly a shock. And Drew Doughty took that one personally. So I think he'll come out with a vengeance. And I just think the talent up front is just very young and very exciting. And I think Gabe Velarde, who is in you know, injured for a large part of his early uh, career, came onto the scene last year before, right before the pause and absolutely lit it up uh, for the Los Angeles Kings. Alexander Turcott, much like Trevor Zegris, we don't know if he's going to get that opportunity. If he does, I think working alongside Anze Kopitar will pay big dividends. Uh, and I think Arthur Kaliev as well. Maybe you give Kaliev and Turcotte a chance, you know, based on their performance at the World Juniors. So I just think it all works out. And I think that number four spot, it's really up for grabs. I think so, and, too. You know, Minnesota, I, I don't think is there. San Jose, if they're all healthy, San Jose can grab that four spot. I don't buy Arizona at all. I mean. I, I have Arizona at number eight. Yeah, so. I mean, I don't buy them at all. And listen, they had a good bubble run. I mean, they made it into the bubble, right? But yeah. they're, they're minus Taylor Hall, who, let's be honest, did not make that big of an impact for Arizona, right? And you're kind of relying on both Clayton Keller and Phil Kessel to carry the goal scoring. But however, Darcy Kemper is going to be the full front number one goalie for Arizona. So that could play a huge, but I, 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 I can't take them seriously. I just don't take Arizona uh, up there. And, you I know, have that last place. I have at last place Minnesota. Um, yeah. No more Devin Dumnik. He's obviously off to San Jose. Um, I think Zach Parisi is gone by the trade deadline. I don't see him playing a full season, and and I just don't see Minnesota as as that good. I have them at that last. Yeah, Minnesota. I have it seventh. Uh, for all the reasons that you just gave, I think Devin Dubnik, uh, you know, obviously he's on the San Jose Sharks now, but uh, he had a terrible uh, season last year. They're going to have to rely on Capo Kakinen, uh and um, Alex, Alex Taylor is injured for a little bit uh, at the beginning of the season here. But the one silver lining for Minnesota is Kirill Kaprizov from the KHL, uh, who has a ton of hype surrounding him. He's looking to be an impact player out of Russia. So we'll see what he's able to do with the Wild. They just named Jared Spurgeon captain. They made a lot of moves, including, you know, trading Eric Stahl to the Buffalo Sabres earlier this offseason. So we'll see how it works out. I have them at seventh. I have Arizona at eighth and uh, Anaheim at six and San Jose at five. Uh, But San Jose, and let's just talk about them for a second. I think that they are the biggest question mark in this entire division. Obviously, the goaltending, a tandem of Martin Jones and Devin Dubnik makes me squirrel on the inside. That's, you know, kind of man, my opinion. But look, this is still a team that has pieces. Logan Couture, Eric Carlson, Brett Burns, Kevin LeBanc, Tomas Hurdle. They are talented. And if they can put it together, and if the goaltending can stand up, they can grab number four, but I'm banking on. And potential. let's not forget that Martin Jones took San Jose to a Stanley Cup final. Just not, you know, not too long ago. Absolutely. Yeah, he did. And, you know, unfortunately, in my opinion, in, you know, the following years there, he really hasn't solidified himself as that number one. It wasn't a long time uh, when Martin Jones was actually Team USA's goalie in the World Junior Hockey Championships, uh, oddly enough. But uh, the Sharks, they just got to stay healthy. 
I mean, last year, I mean, they lost Eric Carlson due to that foot injury. Obviously, Joe Thornton is a Toronto Maple Leaf now. So there are a lot of changes, but I think that number four spot, any of them can really go and grab it, maybe outside of Arizona. You know, I would even say that we want to put Colorado at the top yeah. of the West. I would say Vegas makes a strong push. Um, the, they got Alex Petrangelo before the season began and how good that team was and how good that defense was with, with Shea Theodore playing in the bubble. You just add Petrangelo to that mix. It could be anybody's division um, between Vegas and, and Colorado. But I would say aside from that, you know, the four spot is really a toss up. I don't take Arizona seriously. I don't take um, San Jose seriously. I really think it goes to Anaheim. I, I like their goaltending. And I think out of all the teams in this Western division, you look at all the teams here, whether it's Jordan Biddington in St. Louis or Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury in, in Vegas, I'd say the best goalie in this division is going to be John Gibson for Anaheim. I think he is the best clear-cut number one goalie in this division, and I think that pays a huge dividends for Anaheim in, the, in this season. I agree with you. I've been a big fan of John Gibson ever since he broke into the National Hockey League. And quite frankly, I think with this division, there are a lot of talented goaltenders. Hell, even the team I have at number eight, the Arizona Coyotes, Darcy Kemper could make a case for being the best goaltender in this division. I mean, I don't think he is, but I think he's up there with John Gibson. I think he's up there with Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard. So, you know, I think Arizona goes as far as Darcy Kemper can take them. Uh, as far as the Ducks, I just think they're a little bit too young. I'm just banking on the Kings and, you know, what they're going to bring. But it wouldn't surprise me if any of those teams grabbed that number four spot. And, Will, going back to what you said about Vegas and Colorado, it was really tough for me to put Colorado at number one. Same but with me. You know. Yeah, but the thing with Vegas is, you know, and it got me in the playoffs and they didn't really do a lot to fix it. That goal scoring was a problem. And, you know, they really just quieted down at the worst possible time against the Dallas Stars in the Western Conference final. And yes, they improved the defense and adding Alex Petrangelo to that decor, you know, with Shea Theodore is absolutely fantastic. Are they going to be able to score enough goals? I don't know. And that's why I think the Colorado Avalanche have a more prolific offense. I think, you know, the defense is on par with Vegas and the goaltending, you know, is a toss up. So, you know, we'll see, but I would not be surprised to see Vegas at number one, Colorado at number two either. And perhaps this, I would also have to say that San Jose may have a shot at the number four spot. Oh, definitely. I, is Eric Carlson the same player that he once was? Oh, absolutely not. But that offense, and if Logan Couture could stay healthy as their captain, that's a pretty good team. I mean, yeah, yeah, like you said, Will, and I'll go back to exactly what you said in your point just a few minutes ago. This roster is not far off from the one that went to the 2016 Stanley Cup against the Pittsburgh. They're a lot older. Their window is certainly closing, but they have that experience, and they, they know did lose to- Pavelski, and they did lose Joe Thornton. Yeah, obviously, I think Pavelski hurts a lot more than Thornton does. And we saw that last season. You know, when those guy, key guys went down, the lack of depth really came to the forefront for the Sharks. But, Will, I agree, it comes down to staying healthy. And if they can do that, I could see them at number four. But Martin Jones and Devin Dugan need to stand up on their heads. And also, Ryan Donato, coming from the Minnesota Wild, he is a sleeper pick uh, to just be uh, a breakout star this year in this division. I know we hit on the East division a while ago, but mm. I want to ask you one more question on that. Mm. The Bruins now have lost Tory Krug and Zdeno Chara. 
and potentially Bren, uh, who there's a forward out. Is it Marjan or Bergeron? Uh, it's Pasternak. Pasternak back at the start of the season. Marshan hopes to be back by the start. Is this concern for for the Bruins? I think it is. I think it is, and I think that decor is a concern. And I think that the fact that Don Sweeney and the ownership went to Zdeno Chara and said, "Look, we'd love to have you back, but we're not going to give you the minutes that you got last year." Personally. Uh, and uh, I'm an unbiased, you know, in this situation. I think that's a slap in the face to Zidane Chara. And I think you need him if they want to make a push. They lost Tory Krug and did not make up for it. They had a chance to bring back Zidane Chara, who will bring stability to that blue line, 43 years old or not. And they failed to do it. And they lost him to a division rival now uh, in the Washington Capitals. So They also had the option to potentially make a trade for a defenseman. And with a week before the season has begun, that has not happened. And either, even if they do that, he's likely out for the start of the season because he would have to quarantine in the new state and the new uh, county where Boston plays. So that's probably not going to be ready for the start of the season. So I don't know what they did this offseason. I mean, I'm guessing they're hoping Charlie McAvoy is playing 30 minutes a night. I mean, that's would be my go-to guess. You know what this team reminds me of, Will? It reminds me, I'm not entirely sure of the year. I'm just guessing here, but I can confirm that. Uh, the 2016 Chicago Blackhawks, maybe it was the 2017 Chicago Blackhawks. They're two years off of a Stanley Cup final victory, and they go into the playoffs against the Nashville Predators and get swept. And that's when we knew that the Chicago Blackhawks dynasty of all those years, all of those three Stanley Cups was over. And I think we're on the precipice here with the Boston Bruins of seeing that come to an end. And look, they have great pieces, but they're going to have to at least retool. And, you know, they're not going to be the same team. They weren't good enough. This with the same team, by the way, that passed on Matt Barzell three times in a row. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so look, this was the team with Tory Krug and with Zdeno Chara that couldn't come close to beating the Tampa Bay Lightning. What makes you think or what makes any hockey fan think that without those two, they're going to win a Stanley Cup, right? Yeah, and we will be touching on the Central Division, which would consist of these Chicago Blackhawks either this week or next week. Um, Blackhawks may be in contention for that four spot, but we'll talk about that later on throughout the week. Liam, any closing thoughts you want to talk about? No, that's all. Just as far as the Western division goes, I'll just give you my one through eight just to close out here. Like I said, that four spot is really up for grabs for anybody uh, to come and take. But one, I'm going to stick with Colorado. Two, the Golden Knights. Three, the St. Louis Blues. Four, the Los Angeles Kings. Five, the San Jose Sharks. Six, the Anaheim Ducks. Seven, the Minnesota Wild. And eight, the lowly Arizona Coyotes. Do you think that St. Louis takes a hit with no more Petrangelo or, or do you think Tory Krug is going to wash away that? You know, uh, it, I think that they're going to be okay. I mean, obviously it's difficult to replace Alexander Petrangelo uh, in any form. He's just a beast. He's just a physical specimen uh, who runs a power play. He's great on both ends of the, at both ends of the ice. And I think that Tory Krug, yes, he alleviates, uh, the missing piece of the power play that Petrangelo is going to leave behind, how he is going to fare defensively is a different story. But look, with the Blues, I think that they could be a real sleeper team, and I'll tell you why. Vladimir Tarasenko, obviously the future for him injury-wise is unknown. But if he comes back 
And if he gets a sniff of NHL hockey and he is able to recapture what he had during those 38, 40 goal seasons just a few years ago, that's huge. Mike Hoffman on a PTO, that is huge. Mike Hoffman's one of the best goal, pure goal scorers, snipers in the entire NHL. My problem with, with St. Louis, and I know I'm going to get flack for this, but yes, he won a Stanley Cup. Yes, he deserves all the credit. I don't think Jordan Bennington is as advertised. And I think that as long as he's the number one goalie, or at least as long as they do not have a capable backup. And right now they don't because they traded Jake Allen to the Montreal Canadiens. I don't see them getting back to the cup final. But what do you think about the Blues? They're an interesting team. And he was not he was not the same goalie that he was in a Stanley Cup final just last year. And, and I don't think that's a, a, a race, a race for concern just yet, but I want to see how they play this year. But as far as the Petrangelo Tory crew go, I think he's going to fill the void nicely. I think they knew that they were going to lose Petrangelo and they jumped on Tory Krug before the Bruins could. And the Bruins were kind of shocked that Krug left and Krug came out and said yeah. that they only gave me an offer at the start of the season and never negotiated with me. So that's just the lack of communication by the Bruins side. But good for St. Louis. They went out and they got the replacement that many teams failed to do, by the way. How how often is it that you lose a, a franchise talent and you replace them with another one? That's, you know, that, that, is, that that's very uncommon. I mean, the Islanders lost to Varus, but they had Barzell. They didn't go out and force to try to uh, trade at that time. It would be a Ryan O'Reilly, and uh, the Bruins went out and they failed to replace him. And the and the and the Blues did that. So good on them. Um, go ahead. No, no, absolutely, I agree with you one hundred percent. And I let me just say, and I know we keep going back to the East Division here, but I think Boston is going to rue not bringing back Zdeno Chara and Tory Krug. It's going to bite them. Just wait. That'll wrap up this edition of the Healthy Box Podcast. Will Pestick, Liam Gonimer. We will be coming back in brief time to break down the Central Division, which we would – that's a, another interesting division. Uh, they really – we'll have that coming. I don't want to give any spoilers out. Yeah, Will right. Pestick, Liam Gonimer, Healthy Box Podcast. We'll talk to you next week.